McDonald's se está transformando en el mundo anime de McDonald's y te trae la nueva savory chili McDonald's sauce. Los mejores sabores se unen en esta legendaria salsa para que tus 10-piece chicken wackduggets, papitas y Sprite se conviertan en un meal ultra poderoso. Desbloquea un manga con tu meal y disfruta de un corto de anime cada semana. Solo en McDonald's. Badabababa, go! En McDonald's participantes por tiempo limitado hasta agotar existencias. It's April 20th. Today on the show, while Matt is away welcoming the arrival of his new son. Congratulations, Matt. We are so happy for you here at Sonoro. On the show, we are going to revisit some of our favorite segments from the past. We're going to tell you an Aztec love story told beautifully to you by Matt. We're going to join a conversation between Josie and Matt regarding the one and only Ted Lasso. And then we head to the vault for three of our favorite vault entries. Welcome, everybody. It's story time. Before we get to the show, let's discuss something in Aztec mythology, something you might have seen, but you might not know what it is. It's almost in every single Mexican restaurant. You've probably seen it in your aunt's. It might be in your own home. It is a picture of an indigenous Aztec eagle warrior holding a beautiful woman in a white robe. That's not just a random picture. That is one of the oldest Aztec mythology fairy tales or Mexica. It is the culture, the nation that was there before was Mexico. And it is a beautiful story. It's often referred to as the Aztec Romeo and Juliet. So let's get to it. The story stars Iztaccíhuatl and Popocatépetl. So Iztaccíhuatl is the Lady of White and Popocatépetl is Smoking Mountain. Now, If you're Latino, especially if you live in Mexico, you might have heard those names. They're the names of mountains, two mountains. I think they're technically volcanoes. And this is the story of how those mountains slash volcanoes came to be. So for ease of discussion, I'm changing Popocatepet's name to Popo and Isasiwat's to Itzta. So Popocatepet, Popo is this amazing, powerful warrior. He's the greatest warrior the Aztec Nation has ever seen. He's super strong, but he's very passionate, very fiery, very angry and oftentimes that leads to kind of this bloodless rage and that's going to be important for later in the story now he falls in love with of course the edgy boy falls in love with the pretty girl ista is a beautiful woman she's very fair skin she wears a beautiful white robe and she is the chief's daughter so she's the princess disney uh pay attention you might want to turn this into a movie so the beautiful princess that's very sweet and caring she falls in love with the the edgy boy the rugged warrior the two of them fall in love no one really knows how they just kind of do uh his kind of prestige of being a great warrior eventually leads him to meeting the king and that's when he meets the princess the two hit it off they fall in love it's beautiful and i, I wish i could say and they left happily ever after but this ain't that kind of story The king sees this, the chief of the Aztec sees this, and he gets worried because he's like, I don't want my daughter, my beautiful baby, marrying some rugged warrior. No, no, no. I want her to marry some prince of another nation. But he can't legally tell her no. He doesn't get to control who she marries, and he certainly can't tell her to marry this warrior because uh, due to his prestige, he has gained nobility. And that's a big deal. You usually can't marry, nobles can't marry outside of nobility, but because of his Um, warrior status and the rules of Aztec culture, if you're that damn good as a warrior, you rise up to be a noble. So, from a legal standpoint, the king can't do nothing. 
But he comes up with a plan. He says, hey, I will give you the blessing to marry my daughter, but you have to go defeat this army. Now, none of the stories really get into detail of who he has to fight. All the variations of the story say it's an impossible army. Some say they're monsters. Some say they're gods. Some say they're just a warrior nation that no one's been able to defeat. Some say they're an undead army. Nobody knows. But it is an impossible task. And immediately the princess, she starts freaking out. She's like, there's no way he's going to die doing this. No one, no matter how great he is, no one can do this. So the princess, her heart starts kind of like hurting and she seems to have some corner of like weak kind of heart that she can't really take big news, right? The idea of him going off to war nearly sends her into a heart attack. So Popo, he looks at her and he says, look, I got this. I'm the greatest damn warrior. Me and my boys are going to go and we're going to win this army. I'm going to come back and I'm going to marry you. So Popo heads off into the war. He goes, he's fighting. It's a vicious battle, but he eventually wins. He does the impossible. However, one of the men with him is working for the king. And in some versions, he says, hey, uh, I like the princess. Other versions, he's just working for the king. Regardless, he tells the king, hey, this Kapopo did it. He beat he beat your impossible task. Well, the king panics and he goes to a last word and he goes, hey, he goes to his daughter and he says, hey, unfortunately, I got news that Popo died. My bad. Sorry. Ista has a panic attack. She has a heart attack and she dies from a broken heart. Popo comes back. Everyone's hailing him a hero. He's so happy. He's so proud of himself. And then he finds the news. And he says, oh, I'm so sorry. There was a mix-up. I thought you had died. I told Itzta that you had died. My bad. Popo ain't the kind of forgive and forget guy. He goes into a blood rage. He is furious that this happened at all. And he proceeds to just kill everyone. In the middle of this, sometimes, depending on the story, before this blood rage, uh, the spirit of Ista kind of goes to him and she's like, hey, this is not what I would have wanted for you. Like, I'm dead. I'm sorry, but you have your life. Don't go away, you know, killing people in my memory. And Popo, he drops to his knees and he prays to the gods and he says, hey, gods, can you please turn me into a mountain alongside with my love? And that way we will always be together for the rest of eternity. The gods hear this. They give him exactly what he wants. He gets turned into a mountain. She gets turned into a mountain and they are together forever for all history. I think it's a beautiful story. Sorry, it doesn't have a happy ending. A lot of Aztec stories don't, but I really hope you enjoyed this story. So the next time you see that picture of the big rugged warrior with the eagle feathers on his head and he's holding that beautiful with the white robe, now you know that's Popocatepet, that's Istasiwat, the smoking mountain, the snowy lady or the white lady. Beautiful story. I'm so glad you got to listen to it. I'm so glad I got to tell it to you. Thanks, guys. That was on my mind. Let's get to the show. Welcome to the Storytime Guy with Matthew Torres, a weekly discussion about the most important events in the world of pop and geek culture. Movies, TV, anime, comics. This is your one-stop shop for all the stories that take your imagination to highs, sometimes lows, but always to a place worth discussing. I'm Matthew Torres, and thank you for joining me. Hey everyone, here's everything you need to know about Ted Lasso in 60 seconds. In 2014, Jason Sudeikis starred in a series of commercials for NBC, where he played a clueless but lovable American coach who heads over to London to coach a Premier League team. That's soccer for those of you that don't know. Now, the commercials were a massive hit, and soon Apple TV was developing the commercials into a show as a sitcom. And I gotta say, it's a wonderful show. 
Now the show premiered during the pandemic and it was the right amount of optimism, kindness, and sadness. This is not one of the shows where you just laugh, you also cry a lot. The show continues to follow the fish out of water character that is Coach Lasso as he coaches the Richmond Greyhounds as they attempt to win the trophy. But really, he's trying to win our hearts. And I gotta say, um, I think he succeeded. Last week, season three premiered, and here to discuss it with me is my friend of the show, Josie. How's it going, Josie? Hi, glad to be back. I guess I'm becoming a regular, but also glad to be talking about Ted Lasso. Like, you keep inviting me back to discuss stuff that I love. <laughs> I was like, hey, can we discuss... Ted Lasso, because I love this show. God, I love this show. And I was like, does Josie, does she watch it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, she watches this show. Of yeah, course. I was, I was like, keep hoping you would talk about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're going to discuss this show. And right off the bat, what do we like about this show? It's a, on, on the surface, the premise is coach goes to London to coach a soccer team. Like, what can you really do there? It sounds a little silly. But there's actually a lot there too, more than just him. There are other characters, there's Coach Beard, all of these wonderful, zany, silly characters that are very grounded. And I think it kind of endears you to the entire show as a whole. It kind of just puts this as a, hey, this show is a little silly, but when it gets real, it gets real. So God, it makes me cry. Mm -hmm. The way they handle PTSD, which um, it's not a spoiler if you haven't seen the show, but uh, the show deals heavily for, the, I think, all three seasons, or at least the, the first two seasons, about post-traumatic stress disorder, of dealing with stress, and how it doesn't present this as this, like, big, whimsical, it presents this as reality, as losing your breath. I think a lot of people can relate to the darker moments of the series. Um, at least that's why I connected to it, because at least for me, I wrote it down just in case, because it's just so important to me. I think people connect to it because it never fails to be uplifting. And that's mm -hmm. my thing, especially throughout the first season, just being able to see these characters go through hardships. And there it's just it's so many characters and they manage to make it contained. It never feels too larger than life. And it's a larger than life premise. You have an entire yeah. soccer team you have. You're dealing with the characters plus the, the characters the characters are answering to. Like there's layers to this and they still manage to make it feel contained. I also like that nobody is one-dimensional. Everybody has their demons that they're facing, especially, mm -hmm. like, the first character that comes to mind is Rebecca. I love Rebecca. Yeah. God, yeah. absolutely she... relate to her on every level. Rebecca, for those of you that don't know, Rebecca is the owner of the team. Rebecca divorces her husband. They're both super rich, and she takes the team from him. So... As you can imagine, she doesn't really care about the team. She's using it kind of as like a screw you, which is why um, Jason Stake's character kind of gets hired in the first place. And so she yeah, she puts in this lot of work as this as this kind of female owner who doesn't want to do this. Then she does want to do this. Then she's like holding this tightly as her family. And she has so much development. And I really like, I want to jump back to what you said earlier about that. There is so much uplifting stuff. Like I said, like this show's about trauma and stress and heartbreak and like failing but it never, ever ends on a sad note. It is always uplifting. It is always, hey, that sucked. This person died. Your mom, your dad, you broke up. You went in the relationship. It ended awful. But here's why you shouldn't quit. Here's why you don't give up. And I think that's, that is, like you said, is one of the reasons you really love this show. Because these characters are so realistic. You feel like, like when you see a character going through something, you're like, oh, I, call me. I'm here for you. I'm here for you, baby. Don't, you know. Yeah. It's just, there's all the characters too. They, they even yeah. Coach Beard, that wild, wacky I character. I Coach Beard. No, but there's also so many aspects of the show, which I also think is why it's a success that you can apply to your day-to-day -day life. I have a mm -hmm. Ted Lasso calendar. <laughs> and this, <laughs> this month's, um... 
image is be a goldfish with Samuel Bisagna, <laughs> which is one of the soccer players. Yes. And at least for me, like, I'm always so hard on myself. So whenever that happens, I'm like, just be a goldfish. McDonald's se está transformando en el mundo anime de McDonald's y te trae la nueva savory chili McDonald's sauce. Los mejores sabores se unen en esta legendaria salsa para que tus 10-piece chicken wakduggets, papitas y Sprite se conviertan en un meal ultra poderoso. Desbloquea un manga con tu meal y disfruta de un corto de anime cada semana. Solo en McDonald's. Badabababa, go! En McDonald's participantes por tiempo limitado hasta agotar existencias. Jason today, because this is his baby. I mean, he worked so hard on this character, on this show, producing this, writing this. I mean, this is his baby. And you see it, that he is putting so much of his heart and possibly his own personal life into this, too. Um, I don't know the timelines off the top of my head of when he went through his divorce to when he wrote this show. They line up. I don't. Yes. I can't <laughs> tell you specifics, but there is a lot that I'm pretty sure that he could, he probably took from that. But also there's... Bill Lawrence and there's Brett Goldstein and it's just a full room of just smart ass people writing really good stuff. Really good dial. Okay, so Brett Goldstein. I'm gonna talk about him for a second. Okay, the best character. <laughs> it, so Brett Goldstein, uh, <laughs> he plays Roy Kent. Okay, Roy Kent is this like you you love him. You, there's no other way to say it. he's this like grumbly like he's kind of like Batman. He's like grumbly and like. Mm, but he's got a little bit of a soft side. He's the sweetest character. Every time you see him, you're like, oh, this character is written perfectly, acted perfectly. He, he's the the guy who plays that character is is one of the writers on and eventually I think producer on the show. And he like wrote this character and he's like, I want to play this character. I think I, yeah. I wrote it. I could do it. Yeah, I love and how he, he took ownership over this. He was like, hey, can I have that? <laughs> it's like when yeah, there's one you know, last I'm piece of pizza and you're like... Hey, I I, I, I ordered the pizza, so I'm not to pull that card, you know, but I deserve (laughs) that piece. And and his character is wonderful. And like his relationship with Keely, just and Keely's this like kind of airheaded model who like you first get introduced, you're like, oh, she's kind of like just weird. But she ends up becoming one of the sweetest, kindest, most genuine characters in the show. And I think for them to take this show and be like, hey, all of these characters are kind of bigger than life, but you're going to fall in love with them. Right, fucking Kent. By the way, this show's not for kids. There's a lot of cussing. It's a British show. If you watch British television, you know they cuss and they don't hold back on it. It's it's fine. But yeah, his nickname is Roy fucking Kent. He's a re- he's a soon to be retiring soccer player. He's kind of on the end of it. And God, the way his character, especially in season two, he goes from A to B to C, all back around to A. God, I love it. What about you? Who's your who's one of your favorite characters? Jamie Other than Roy Kent. <laughs> Jamie Tart is my baby and obviously Danny Rojas I just love their dynamic in season 2 just that challenging aspect and season 1 and just Jamie Tart because I love in Stranger Things Steve Harrington especially what Mm -hmm. they do with him if people aren't familiar Steve Harrington is a character that was a bit of a jackass in the first season and then he became like everyone's favorite and that's kind of what they're doing with Jamie Tart, the Steve Harrentification of Jamie Tart. Because he was a jackass as well in the first season, but then by this season, they're giving him better lines. He's more compassionate. He has a lot of one-liners that are really good. And the actor is also really good at playing that character. And they've also had enough time to be able to be within 
these characters and these people that the third season is starting to feel so cozy and probably just one of the best. But again, Danny Rojas, second season, that first episode and that last episode, beautiful. I won't say much because spoilers for people, but... Uh. Yeah, so for, so Danny Rojas is a Mexican character who in real life is from Mexico. He's an mm -hmm. actual professional soccer player who became an actor and joined the show. So he's doing his own stunts. He's an actual soccer player. He's actually from Mexico. There's so many little things as a Latino watching him. Like just the just the little character moments of him, how he talks about food and his culture and the little things he does, like when they bring up nuns or something and he you know, it's like oh, yeah. does a little Leo. <laughs> it's the the things he does, it's so authentic. And I just wanna point out for Danny Rojas, because he really we're Latinos, we, we you know. Mm -hmm. So for Danny Rojas's character, the actor Cristo Fernandez, um, he is a I mean, he learned, he knows what, like four or five languages or something like that he's trying to learn. Uh he went to a um like an academia when he was younger. So he learned a lot of languages in Mexico and he is very proud of his heritage. He's very proud of being Latino. It's something that he pushes forward in the show. And one of the things I want to note is that he even brought up not what the indigenous language of the Mexica, the Aztec, that he wants to learn that language and just seeing a Latino being proud of who they were and acknowledging their indigenous side their you know, all these different aspects of being Latino and being like, yeah, I want to learn now the indigenous language of my people. I'm like, You are too beautiful for the world, man. Thank you. <laughs> you love seeing Latinos being proud of their Latino heritage. We don't see it too often, but man, when we do, I love seeing it. Danny Ross is wonderful. Um, someone else that I want to briefly talk about, uh, Sam Obasanya, the African, I believe is Nigerian character. Um, I don't know if the actual actor, Tohib Jimo, I'm looking at the cast list. Let's see. Um, he was born in London. But yeah, so uh, a big plot point in season two, without spoiling too much, is about his heritage, his history. In the first season, he's there, but it doesn't do too much. But in the second season, they really double down and make him almost one of like the core, core main characters, having a lot of episodes just devoted to him and his character and Africa and the history of just colonization over that. And man, I just, I was like, this show is dedicating so much time and efforts to diversity, to good storytelling and stuff. And I'm like, that's what I love to see. That's one of the other reasons you love seeing this show, that it's funny and it's smart and it's witty, but they also care about the things that matter. They care about, you know, the women's point of view. Never once do you watch the show and you hear like cringy dialogue about like, you know, anytime a character speaks, you know, like, oh, okay, all right. You know, mm -hmm. you get to see these authentic kind of point of views of characters. And yeah, the, the I'm not going to spoil anything, but Sam of Asanya, His entire season two, everything, the ups and downs of that character, his love interest. Whoo, that was <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I'm going to give you a spoiler warning about Nate the Great. So because I was like, do I talk about Nate the Great? So Nate is a water boy in the first season. He gets promoted mm -hmm. to a coach. Um, and I'm going to tell you this, even if there is... I think it's worth knowing the spoiler, to be honest, because I found out about the spoiler. Me and my wife found out about it before we watched season two. Mm -hmm. And knowing that Nate the Great in season three becomes the villain, or at least a villainous antagonistic character, you get to watch season two with that in the back of your mind and go, wait, how does he get from a hero to a villain? And I think knowing that is going to make season two more enjoyable because we're watching the whole time going, oh, oh, this is he's this is just building up yeah. to it. It's because so think, Jason Sudeikis loves Star Wars, so Rupert is Emperor Palpatine and Nate is Darth <laughs> Vader. I'm not even joking. Look at the no, design. Yeah, that's, that's Look at accurate, the design yeah. in the third he, episode. He's admitted to it. He loves Star Wars, and that's it. And I think it's. And this season, um, we'll see Rupert with a swishy cape. And that's the only spoiler I give, but I find it so funny. 
because it's just him walking yeah. around with he's, a black swishy cape, and I'm like, Jason Sudeikis, you are not being <laughs> discreet. Subtle. At all. Well, it's like, um, like, so episode one came out, I've seen episode one, and Rupert is the villainous ex-husband of the, 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 so there's like the good guys and the owner of that team. He was the former owner, now he's the, he bought a new team, and he mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to spoil it as much with Nate. He but, sucks. Yeah, Nate is this like, and he's, oh, what a wonderful character. How to write that. But yeah, Rupert's office is a, it's a villain. It's a, it's like, it's, it's a dimly lit. There's like, all, I'm like, he's a Sith Lord. Like he's, he is. he's super evil. And it's beautiful to see Nate have this like disgusting composure to himself of being an awful human being. Let's be real here. Nate always, I mean, I saw this deep dive video that discusses Nate going into why Nate became a villain. How did Nate go from a washboy to a coach to hating Ted Lasso? And it was one of those things of they and I don't know your opinion on this, but it was like what they said was that Nate put um, Ted Lasso put Nate up on a pedestal and said, hey, Mm -hmm. here's everything you want. And then he left him alone. And Nate hated him for that because he didn't know what to do and he panicked and he was on his own. And so he didn't know where to go from here. And like you mentioned in Star Wars, that's a perfect origin for a Sith Lord. It kind of balances mm-hmm. of like Anakin Skywalkers. Anakin's a Jedi now, but uh, <laughs> it doesn't really have guidance. So who's there to guide him? But the villain, Rupert, Emperor Palpatine. It's like this character that you're like, God, you've done some awful things, man. But you're hoping like, is it too late? Is Nate the Great? Is he too? Is he the Wonder Kid now, or is he gonna go back to being the hero? And I think, I mean, you already know, and I don't want spoilers, but I have only seen episode one, and to me, it's like the beginning of episode one of season three, when there's the little spoiler. There's little Legos, and he like puts Nate the Great away from them, and it sounds like no, he's your friend, and he puts Nate right next to him. Mm-hmm. My favorite part of season three, if you, if any of you have seen season one or season two and you just stopped with either one, I think you should keep going and definitely give season three a chance because we're able to dive deep into so many more characters. Like you had Sam in season two, but now we're getting Colin. We're getting so many other characters that were just there in the background before. And now they're getting more screen time but they're also getting more death so i like where it's heading in that direction especially considering we're not we haven't gotten a full confirmation that this is a final season but jason today because it's like cheekily saying it is it was always meant to be but they haven't like said it outright and i'm like can you guys just let us know so we can mentally Whether- prepare if this is the end <laughs> i want if this is this is uh i also want that lego set <laughs> yeah i hope this isn't a final season but god if it is I, I don't know what I'm going to do with this whole that Ted Lasso is going to leave in my heart. Because it really is a fantastic do. show. If you haven't watched it, you need to watch it. Season three is going to think I be I think it's going to be more season two. Uh, I don't know mm. what you want to say about that. Mm. Of, I'll say uh, <laughs> other characters getting more attention than building the overarching story with Ted Lasso trying to win the trophy. I think that's yeah. where this season is going. What, yeah, what to expect. I can say episodes are longer. Which mm-hmm. is a little bit, for some people, it might be a little bit surprising since we started with like 30 minutes, but some episodes are an hour long. Ooh. And I think that's a benefit they're giving them, uh, considering how well the show has done. But mm-hmm. you never feel the runtime. So for fans that are a little bit worried about that, you're going to be okay. <laughs> it's going to be good. Yeah, and I the, mean, ri- it, it, the writing why is would better. you not want more of a good show? Yeah, the writing like, is way better. That's what I think. Which, that says a lot, because the writing's already good. And like I said, if you haven't seen my last episode... Go watch it because I, I I do like a five, 10 minute rant about Bill Lawrence and how amazing he is. And once again, this show is just so good. This is Bill Lawrence letting, I mean, 
you know, when it comes to being a producer, when it comes to being a showrunner, it's not just about like you being the best. It's about surrounding yourself with amazing, talented people. That's what filmmaking is. You know, when you go to produce, you don't just like, all right, I'm going to hire these people, boop, 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 do your jobs. You hire the best because this mm -hmm. isn't, you know, when they, we saw the Academy Awards, when you win Best Picture, it's the producer taking this. And while this is Jason Sudeikis' show, there's no denying that Bill Lawrence was part of this, that this show wouldn't be what it is without Bill Lawrence. And I gotta say, I feel like Bill Lawrence, I mean, he, if he's not the most paid showrunner in Hollywood, I don't know who could possibly be because he's given us so many good shows <laughs> time and time again. And some are sleepers like Cougar Town and others are just straight up masterpieces like Scrubs and Ted Lasso. That's what do you what do you think? I'm I keep ranting about Bill Lawrence. I, you have to stop me because I will rant about Bill Lawrence for it's okay. I'm actually a heathen because I think the first show I saw by him was Ted Lasso. Really? You haven't mm -hmm. seen Scrubs? Mm -mm. Oh, it's I wasn't on Hulu. a TV it's person. I was more of a film person, and now I'm slowly getting into TV, especially with what we're seeing now. Okay, go watch Scrubs. <laughs> do you have anything final words to say about Ted Lasso? Just watch Ted Lasso. I think we all love it. It's it's a great it tackles toxic masculinity in a healthy manner. You have the therapist mm -hmm. in the second season. And of course, for people that do suffer from anxiety, it is a good representation. It is it has empathy. And Jason Sudeikis, the man that you are. <laughs> and it has a Christmas special in season two. Who doesn't I like Christmas it every specials? Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thank you, Josie. We're on to the next section. Welcome to the all-time segment, or as we like to call it, The Vault. Every episode, I put something in the vault so that we can preserve a piece of art, movie, a book, a graphic novel, etc., etc., etc. Juan is back to let us know what he is putting in the vault. Juan, what do you have for us today? Well, you know, I had heard about this vault, and I'd heard that Scream's already in the vault. Excellent yes. selection, if I say so myself. <laughs> but, so you know what? I was looking around, and I think there's something that should be in your vault, which is quite iconic. To me, one of the best sitcoms in history, and that would be The Golden Girls, which aired for seven seasons from 1985 to 1992. And it's about these four Southern Florida seniors. They share a house and their dreams and a whole lot of cheesecake. You know, <laughs> it ha they're really funny. They have these great antics. They have these great story times. And they have these moments that just resonate with comfort television. Growing up, you know, I was very attached to my grandparents. So when I see this show, I instantly connect to my grandparents and remember the, the stories they used to tell me. I love mm -hmm. the humor. It is very much my kind of humor as well. And again, I think it is one of the sitcoms that I think has aged the best and is also going to go down in history as one of the best. So I would like to put in The Golden Girls starring B. Arthur, Estelle Getty, Betty White, and Rue McClanahan. I like that. I'm going to keep it on theme. I'm going to put in a sitcom too. Uh, it's a sitcom I've actually only seen once through. It took me a long time to actually get to it. But How I Met Your Mother is what I'm going to put in the vault today. Uh, growing up and watching this, I was like, eh, it's not my thing. And that didn't look interesting. I said to my wife about a year ago or so, we watched, we binged the whole thing. And damn, this show is good. There is a scene in this show that I think is one of the best episodes, moments in sitcom history. Have you seen How I Met Your Mother? Oh, I love How I Met Your Mother. I have okay. the DVDs like, over there. 
<laughs> so yes, one of my favorite moments, the saddest moment, apparently this was improv too. So Jason Siegel's character, who's in Shrinking, which you should watch. It's a wonderful show on Apple TV. Um, Jason Siegel's father dies. And the way they present him with that information is, from my understanding, they didn't tell him about this scene. They tell his in-universe girlfriend, they're like, hey, his father dies. Tell him. Let's see how he reacts to it. And it is a beautiful moment. It shows that improvisation is a skill. Jason Siegel kills it. He breaks it into tears. It is one of the saddest moments. Apparently, if you're watching the show at the time, from the beginning to the end, you see that they kind of built up to this slowly. That whenever they do like flash forward scenes, that his dad's not in those flash forward scenes. And so they kind of planned all of this from the start. But I got to say his delivery on that, but his girlfriend slash wife's in universe, her delivery on this. It is if you're like, hey, I need to cry to reset my emotions. Watch the episode where Jason or you just look at YouTube. The Jason Siegel's character, How I Met Your Mother, Father Dies. It is one of the best scenes ever. Love that. Welcome back, Josie. Josie, what do you have for the vault today? I love how this is like your own little Criterion collection. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it's trying to be. <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, for today, I'm going to bring something that I believe to be utmost esteemed art that a lot of people are probably going to fight me for, but I don't care. And that is <laughs> Star Wars The Last Jedi, directed by the one and only Ryan Johnson. So we're talking about episode eight of the Star Wars franchise and the best one out of all of them. I love Star Wars The Last Jedi. I like the sequel trilogy and I've been there from the start. I watched the OT, the original trilogy on VHS back when they had, I think, like Darth Vader's face and then Yoda's face and Stormtrooper's face. I love Star Wars. I'm not the biggest fan of the Star Wars fandom, but I love Star Wars. And that's a really good movie. That fight scene, that lightsaber fight scene between Royal Guard versus Rey and Kylo. Damn, what a scene. So that was my favorite. The color grading, just everything, just the red room. And I just love the choreography in that scene. So right there with you. Agreed. And I remember, look, there's a few times in, in a film's life or in your life where you remember sitting in the theater. You remember looking at the screen and thinking, this will be forever in my mind. For me, I don't know about you, the Holdo maneuver, when I first saw it in theaters, it's a moment I'll never forget. I remember, like, I, I was yeah. three seats from the side. I remember looking up and I was three rows up and I just thinking... What a beautiful scene. I don't think we'll, I, like, God damn, right? Like, <laughs> what about you? I get goosebumps every single time. And I will never forget. I remember I was sitting down in the theater. I went to see the movie by myself. And I just remember the whole, I had the entire role road to myself and I just looked to my side as if there were people there and was like you seeing this? <laughs> I was like, you seeing this? So yeah, you're in the vault. I'm going to put what I love in the vault and speaking about an infected, speaking about sort of zombies and I'm putting in the vault Night of the Living Dead which is written and directed by George A. Romero one of the all-time greats, one of the original zombie movies, one of the classic zombie movies that you all love and if you haven't seen it, you gotta see it. Um, it's a classic. It's one of those it was a move for black America by accident. You know, everyone's like, yeah, he casted a black man because this. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. But that didn't happen. I just cast him because he was a good actor. But I'm glad you guys were able to take something from this. So have you seen Night of the Living Dead? I hope. I have not. You haven't? Oh, my God. I know. you got to watch it. It's so, it's hokey. There's there's little moments like, you know, it's one of the characters like, he's coming to get you, Barbara. And it's like foreshadowing the impending doom of zombies. But it's one of those like, 
This was the first big zombie movie. Granted, it wasn't the first. There was a French film, I think, called Zombie that came up before, but this was the first American one. This is the first one that hit theaters, that hit the world. And if you haven't seen it, I'm just gonna, the reason it's kind of important, especially because it's, it's Black History Month, the main character is black. And the fact that this character, I'm gonna spoil this for you because it's been out for like 90 years. So I'm gonna spoil this for you. So the main character, the black guy, he gets through the whole movie. He lives through everything. I think he's the only character that lives through the entire yeah. movie. And he gets to the end and he's like, damn, I lived through the zombie apocalypse. And then he gets shot by a white guy who thinks that he's a zombie. And it's the most anticlimactic, hurtful ending. And it's it says a lot. And, you know, he was just like, ah, shitty things happen. But it meant so much to the black community to say, like, damn, we get the black guy as the main character. He lives through it. He's smart. He's constantly making the best decisions, the smart decisions. He doesn't give a damn about nobody. And he gets shot by the white redneck rangers walking down the street, you know? Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's just when it comes to Black History Month, I think that's one of the most important films we have to remember about even accidental is good, you know? And to me, and then it's also zombies. Who doesn't love zombies? So yes, I recommend to you and anyone who hasn't seen The Night of the Living Dead, check it out. It is a masterpiece. And I'm putting that one into the vault. So that's this week's vault. Do you guys think they're deserving of all-time great status? Tell me at the Storytime Guy on Twitter, and we'll be right back. Today, to put something in the vault with me is Carlos. What do you put in the vault today, Carlos? You know, since we were talking about Ant-Man, Ant-Man was originally developed by the one, the only, the great Edgar Wright. Yeah. <laughs> Marvel came to him and they said, what do you want to do for us? And he said, I want to do Ant-Man. And that's why Ant-Man got made. Mm -hmm. He ended up leaving the project, the first movie. He wrote a lot of it, but it's a lot of Edgar Wright's influence. Yeah. Having said that, I'm going to put the Cornetto trilogy in. The Cornetto trilogy, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, The World's End. All three movies, all linked by this British ice cream uh, that you see a rapper in all three of them. I, For me, they are absolutely brilliant. They are what, what I love about them is that they are films that are mocking a certain type of genre or a certain type of film, and then they become the best possible version of that type of genre and that type of film. So Shaun of the Dead is mocking zombie movies, and then it becomes the best zombie movie you've ever seen. Hot Fuzz is making fun of buddy cop <laughs> movies from the 90s, and then it becomes the very best buddy cop movie you've ever seen. I love these films. I love Edgar Wright. I think he's endlessly creative. I love the way he films comedy. I'm a big fan. Cornetto Trilogy, throwing it in the vault. Matt, what do you got for the vault today? So for me, I'm going to put Scream, the Scream franchise in the vault. I love it. Really, when you talk about, like you said, reinventing a franchise, reinventing a genre is not something that's easy to come by. When you say action movies, oh, okay, well, there's some good action movies. There's tired, but there's rare times in history where a movie will come in and it'll completely redefine an entire genre. It'll reawaken. It's like The Walking Dead. It completely reinvented and reinvigorated zombies. So for me, when it comes to horror movies, just Period. Horror movies, slashers, the entire genre of horror, that scream. That movie is so damn good. And for horror fans, I know for me, that means so much. So for me, Scream's going in it. And yes, because I am Latino and I got to make everything about Latinos. Yes, the most recent Scream movies, it's going to be six and I think no, five and six, right? Most recent two. 
The main characters are two Latinas, uh, Jenna Ortega, if you guys know from Wednesday. She's in Scream. I feel like a lot of people forget that. And she, <laughs> and minor spoiler, she has some gnarly scenes in that movie. And now they're going to New York where the two main characters are coming back. The two Latinas are coming back. And Tony Revolori, which a lot of people go, that guy's not Indian? No, he's Latino. He's Tony Revolori, who plays Flash Thompson in the Spider-Man franchise. He's Latino. He just announced this week that he's going to be in the Scream movie. So that's three Latinos in a Scream movie, which is... Oh, I love it. I love it so much when we get representation and we're not reduced to being the, the oh, we, we can only, you can only have Latinos in a horror movie when the movie is about Latinos. This movie does it. The franchise is great. I love it so much. I'm sorry I ranted so much about Scream, but damn, that is one of the best horror franchises of all time. One of the best horror movies ever. One of the best horror openings ever. Some of the best kills. It's going in the vault and it's going to stay there. That's this week's vault. Do you think they're deserving of the all-time great status? Tell me at the Storytime Guy on Twitter, and we'll be right back. All right, everyone, I just got on the train, and I wanted to say, wait, is that guy wearing a ghost face mask? I gotta go. Thank you to my guests, Juan and Josie. Thank you to Carlos for jumping on the mic and sharing his thoughts. Thanks to you for listening. As always, follow me on the socials. I'm at the Storytime Guy. Don't forget to like, follow, share this episode, smash that subscribe button, and of course, have a magical day, everyone. The Storytime Guy podcast is a production of Sonora Media. It is produced by Carlos Arenado, mixed and engineered by Santiago Sierra. 